0: We're back for another week. of last one's at the bar. We're here to supply you with all of your needs when it comes to the area of the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. And if you don't know, we have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the sport of boxing, over 70 years of, of watching the sport. I know, Danny, you said that you you know, kind of got into the sport, the Gennady Golovkin uh, era, and then Vale. I think you mentioned that you started with, back with, uh, what's my man named, Hector Macho Camacho, mm-hmm. you know, me, I've been watching Bison even back when, uh, you know, the Mets, they was playing at Shea Stadium, so, you know, that's been a long time, you know, I think Manny Ramirez, he hadn't even signed with the Red Sox Nation yet, so, We bring a a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the sport. Um, This weekend, you had a lot of good boxing on. We got a lot of topics that we need to discuss. But even yesterday, we had a a legend in the ring. You had Chocolatito Gonzalez. That fight was on. But even before that came on, man, I was checking out some NBA action. Um, I don't know if you fellas had a chance to see LeBron cooking yesterday. But speaking of the NBA in the Lakers, you know I mean? I know they got a very good win yesterday against the Golden State Warriors. But what do you what do you think about their chances, you know, when it comes to this season? Um, how far do you think they can go? I'm gonna be real. Like, you know, they say you
1: can never write LeBron off, but um, and I've been kind of I say this as somebody who watched them, you know, they got the names, they have sort of like the pedigree. Um, but just watching them play, um, and to Vogel's point, he he has been like experimenting with lineups, but what they are asking from LeBron is not sustainable. You know what I mean? And so, and then with AD, you know, kind of being in and out of injury, I don't think it's looking too good for him overall. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure how much I would even, coming out the play in, like say they're in the play in, they're going to be matched up against the Suns or the Warriors probably. And, the Warriors not even at full strength yet. The Suns are not at full strength yet, and so I don't I don't like their chances. You know what I mean? Like, and it sucks because they they gave up so much to get Russ, but that's not working. So I don't know what they're gonna do.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it feel like like Russ made them worse, you know. And LeBron's doing all he can, but you can't win by yourself, you know. And and that team particularly is just not clicking this year and, and, and really at this point, they're just trying to just stay in the, uh, the, 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 the tournament, you know, and <laughs> try to stay at that or even make the AC, you know, it's cause it's getting, it's getting real. I think they're number nine or number 10 they they're somewhere like that on the West. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting year and you can't blame that on LeBron, you know, he's doing what he can, you know? But for some reason, that team is not clicking. And someone compared them to, like, 2004 Lakers. The star-studded 2004 Lakers. Now I don't even think that's a good comparison because that team went to the finals, you know. So, But we'll, we'll see what happens, you know. Yeah,
0: the 2014 bad comparison because you still had an in-prime, you know, Kobe. You had an N prime shot, you know. And then you had the older guys who came on board. But this team right here, they just too old. You know, it's, I think it's a couple of things that is contributing to their poor efforts that they've been showing. And one is that they've they got a lot of old dudes. And not only that, well, speaking of them being older, like a lot of young teams, what they do is they just wait. They wait till about the fourth quarter. Okay, y'all dudes, then, you know, shut y'all low. So now we're going to go ahead and start cooking now. And they can't keep up, you know, once the game gets like in the fourth quarter – six minutes left and stuff like that so that's what I've been saying you know I've been checking them out on a pretty consistent basis and then the other thing is when you got so many stars on your team or former stars on your team they don't do the dirty work like they're not going to get those loose balls they're not putting in that extra hustle you know that you would need with role players so that's that's um partly responsible for their poor efforts And AD is kind of soft for one and then two he's brittle you know, and so you, you, one of your best players, you can't really rely on him, you know, on a day to day basis. And then when he does play, sometimes he doesn't show up. You don't have that, that, that geek the freak type of hunger and passion. You know, if they had somebody like that or if he had that in him, then I think they'd be up there at the top of the West with the Suns and Golden State. Now, when it comes to their chances, I don't like their chances advancing far. But for some reason, they played the Warriors really well. The last time they played them, they should have beat them, and it seemed like LeBron just he just get the cooking when it comes to the Warriors. You know, I guess defensively they don't like the double team or anything like that. But maybe they will make the adjustments in the playoffs. But just historically, he just be cooking those dudes, and he he did just that last night. Uh, last thing I'm gonna say as far as the regular season is concerned, uh, other thing that's contributing to them not playing well. You mentioned Westbrook, true. You know, he's he's um he's just not like a winner, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Westbrook will end up with numbers, but he just doesn't do the little things in, to actually win a game. You know, he's not a facilitator like a Chris Paul and kind of see things and make sure that you know you do whatever it is you need to do to secure that victory. Other thing is LeBron, too. Like LeBron is playing a Role in this because LeBron halfway don't play defense too much anymore. That's my favorite guy. Like I love LeBron. But he, he right now is just trying to catch Kareem. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times. Like he's just getting them numbers. Like, let me go ahead and make sure I get my 25 to 30, you know, and then by this time I'm sure we'll be catching Kareem. So I could, you know, solidify my claim as being a GOAT. You know what I mean? So those are things that I see. But anyway, I know we get in a little detail when it comes to Lakers. You know, what I mean, that's one of my favorite organizations. They got one of my favorite all-time players, too. So I had to go ahead and touch touch um on that topic right there now let's go ahead and get off into what we hear for us so we got a lot of topics to discuss a lot of good boxing you know we talked the good boxing game so let's go ahead and start off with the living legend my main man chocolatito roman gonzalez he was in action last night he was facing julio Cesar martinez martinez is number one at 112 and then chocolatito is top three
2: now now chocolatito he's, he's a 30 he's 34 years of age but he's an older, 34, who's been through a lot of wars, uh, and a lot of people look at the, that fight with so, so Rick Rigby's side and it, it look at how much that's actually those fights actually took out of him, especially that second fight. But I don't know what it is, but he's he, he seen renewed, um, and, and we'll talk about what how he's going to fare going forward because I think that's very interesting now. But he, but you know, talk to Tito; he has a record of 50 and three, 41 KOs. Five foot three, sixty-four inch wingspan, going against uh, Julio, Julio Caesar Mar- uh, Martinez, who was eighteen and one, uh, with fourteen uh, KOs. Five foot two, a sixty-four inch uh, reach. Now um, Martinez, you know, of course he he's number one at one twelve. For some reason, he came in this fight overweight. When he weighed in, he weighed in at one twenty-two. Uh, now I'm not sure if he he just didn't want to like make weight or anything because cause who knows how much he weighed once they were inside the ring but they did look around the same size once you know that bell rang you know and uh and none of that really mattered uh because there were some exchanges where i was like okay the first you know two rounds i was like okay all right this is gonna be a pretty good matchup you know and, and i saw the exchanges but round the second and third round uh it was just some exchanges that was that was going on where Chocolatito, he just more, and, and this is a testament to how good he is, he, he's more defensively responsible when he throws, when he gets in those exchanges, especially inside uh, mid-range. Uh, he keeps his hands up. Uh, he doesn't, and one thing that's interesting about uh, Gonzalez is even when he throws lots of punches, he's picking his shots. And that was a difference when you watch those exchanges between him and Martinez. Martinez throwing punches, trying to land punches. Uh, not saying he's just trying to miss or whatever, but he's trying to land punches. Chocolatito is picking his shots while throwing lots of punches. And that's like, that's actually how good he is. It was almost like watching a, a miniature Canelo at times. Um, so once he started pushing Martinez back and, and damaging Martinez, I mean, it just went on for, you know, about for, for pretty much the entire year of the fight. I thought maybe around the ninth or 10th round that uh, Martinez corner was going to throw the top. But, you know, that's testing how tough Martinez is. He toughed it out. You know, he took his punishment, uh, and, and he, he saw that, that, that final bell. Um, I didn't really score the fight, but I think I gave Martinez. If I had to give Martinez a round, it was probably around maybe the first or second round. And from then on, I thought Gonzalez, it was just the Chocolatito show. You know, so uh, it was a good win for, for, for Gonzalez. I think he's going to probably uh, get that third match with Estrada. And it, it, he made his case that that fight is going to be a pretty, pretty good fight. Uh, where Estrada did edge him that last fight in a fight that many thought uh, Chocolatito won. So it, this third fight is going to be very, very personal. I, I look forward to be exciting and, it, you know, it's going to be another classic. Um, but, you know, shout out to my man Chocolatito. I was a fan, you know, even when it went before he was on HBO and I used to watch it on YouTube, you know, cause you know, I like the little guys and I'm a little guy myself. So you know, Chocolatito, that's my main man. He did really, really good last night.
0: Yeah, um, he ended up landing 374 out of 1,076 punches at a 34% clip. And then Martinez, he landed 182 out of 713 for a 25.5 percentage. Um, Chocolatito was landing some some of them, his power punches like the accuracy that he was landing those shots man he was like over 50 percent um accuracy when it comes to his power punching and not to really touch on the fight itself because again you broke it down in terms of what was taking place in there a lot of people was writing off chocolatito saying that you know it's kind of writing his uh pugilistic um obituary ob- obituary um going into this fight because they thought the younger man you know might be able to take him out I mean I know none of us said that but there was some rumblings about this might be it for Chocolatito and Chocolatito may have you know had his last stand against Estrada um, last time but this right here man this was what you would call a virtuoso performance you know Chocolatito was basically um, playing chess and then you had Martinez was playing checkers, you know, but he was playing chess with Bobby Fisher. You know what I mean? One of the all-time greats. This was Picasso, you know, Van Gogh, Da Vinci, Angelo, you know, one of those type of performances. I love Chocolatito because Chocolatito is one of those guys who I don't think was ever overrated. You know what I mean? Like HBO, when we talk about LeBron, they had LeBron, you know, for the sport of boxing. Or when it comes to the sport of boxing, somebody who, they put the limelight on and he was he was deserving of that, you know, and he was doing everything possible to showcase why he was a top pound for pound fighter. I'm talking about in terms of skill. Like he can pretty much, when it comes to that in fighting and that um, ability to, like he has this little rock that he does where he's throwing punches, but he's also being elusive too, where you're not really able to tag him um, like, significantly you know what I mean because he just has that rhythm down you know and like I say it's just a masterful performance to see him in action especially yesterday I hadn't seen him you know two months prior to that strata fight also Chocolatito made a good point as well like really Chocolatito could be only should only have that one loss because I thought that he did beat the first fight that they had but they end up having a rematch knocked out that was the only time that he actually lost convincingly Outside of that, and HBO, they did him a disservice by having him fight against Rumbasai again. You know, he won the fight, but he ended up, you know, since some people were saying that it wasn't a performance of a number one caliber type fighter, he ended up giving him that rematch. Now, again, he lost the fight. I just think that that's one of the only guys who he doesn't match up well against because he just has that tremendous power and chocolate. That's the only thing. Like even yesterday. It was a couple times Martinez, he he clipped um, Gonzalez. And the third round in particular, I saw Chocolatito. He did a good job of masking it. The young fella didn't know that he actually hurt him probably with like 30 seconds left in the round and Tito just played it off really good. And then once you got to like the fourth round, Tito started putting it on him, you know. And the kid, he beat the youthful arrogance out of him because a lot of times Chocolatito would be hitting him with some shots, but he was like, come on, come on, you know. And then Chocolatito obliged him. (laughs) You know what I mean? You want me to hit you? Boom, boom. He just kept nailing him. And like you said, the kid showed tremendous heart, man. You got to give him. The only thing that you could give him a check mark over Chocolatito was that he showed that he can take a heck of a punch. I'm talking about yesterday. Now, I don't know. Chocolatito may be able to take some of those shots that... Um, he was taken, but he didn't put himself in position to even, you know, have to worry about those things, um, because he was just masterful yesterday. As far as the scoring a fight, I gave, um, Martinez the first, because it was kind of a filling out round. I think what Charlie Cito was doing early on, he was just gauging Martinez power. You know what I mean? Seeing what he had, it was like the first two minutes then like at around that going, Two minutes into the end of the round, Chocolatito started picking it up. And just the fact that Martinez, I thought, won the first half or the first third of the round, I gave him that round. And then I think it was the fifth Chocolatito took his foot off the gas a little bit. And then after that, it was all Chocolatito. A very good performance by the uh, veteran, you know, 34 years of age. I think he still got a good year or two left, um, depending on who he decides to, take on next. And just based on what I heard, you know, he wants to fight with Juan Francisco Estrada. I think they're talking about September. That would be a good matchup. I think that he has Estrada's number. You know, I agree with Charlie too. I think he won the last fight. Obviously, he won the fight in 2012. Um, Now, it depends on what he wants to do and what a starter wants to do. If they really want to go ahead and make that match, I think that that's likely what's going to happen. Now he has some other options though. He has a lot of options. Cause he's talking about maybe going to 118. I just don't think he has enough power to really dissuade somebody like the monster a new way, but those would be two monsters in the ring, but I would favor a new way, but Chuck he will have his moments because against anybody he's going to have his moments. It's just, he's, I think he's just too big and too strong. Um, for Roman Gonzalez at this stage. For him, those are two guys I would stay away from. I would stay away from Anouye, and I would stay away from Sword Romicide. And I know that he, 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 unless you just fight Sword Romicide on the way out, like, this is going to be my last fight. That's it, because even if you are victorious against him, you're going to take so much punishment against that heavy-handed pugilist, man. Like, that man is just at that weight, those big, strong heavy punches that he throws you don't want to have to be dealing with those lingering effects of fighting someone like that and then the other guys if he just wants to collect some belts what i think he's bigger than belts he could fight um kazuta kazuto um the ibf champion at 115 pounds and then he can also face um fernando martinez he also holds a belt i i I don't, you know, like Bam Rodriguez, who who collected the belt in his last fight against Quadras, I would just stay away from him. Not that he can't beat him. I, I don't think it would go like it did yesterday because Bam has more skill than Martinez. You know, and Bam, he's going to be another one that has that heart, too. Um, I just think Bam, he's so young that he's the next wave. So just let him, you know, take things over on your way out. But masterful performance by Chocolatito. Um, I'm looking forward to see what he does in September. Hopefully it's against Juan Francisco Estrada. I was on mute when I threw my notes away cause y'all said everything I
1: was going to say pretty much. But Vale, um, you did a great job of breaking down the fight. And Will, you did a good job of giving him his flowers because yeah, the rumors of his demise is just always exaggerated. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why he's so people are so quick to write him off but like you said like art like i thought he won the first soul rumors i fight which led to the second soul rumors i fight which really shouldn't have happened and i thought he won the Estrada fight too but um Estrada two rather um but um this fight here was a classic example of there just being levels to the sweet science you know what i mean like Chocolatito show he hasn't lost a step to whoever was saying that you know him at thirty four was gonna get like kind of outgunned by this this young guy, um and Martinez to his credit he was game, but he was just out of his depth and one argue I I feel like outside of that fifth round where Chocolatito seemed to kind of rest he he pissed the shutout here mostly but I think Martinez would be fine going back down to his weight class I think he took some damage but. He showed a lot of heart, and I feel like he learned a lot from this experience that will make him an even better champion at the 112-pound division, um, but outside of the damage, I don't think this fight really hurt his stock, and I think this is one of those losses that may have actually earned him some fans because those are the type of fights that fans like to see. Um, as far as what's next, um, I would personally like to see the Estrada 3, of course, but they're saying, you know, now he might be fighting Joshua Franco. And then they're saying Bam might be fighting Sorongazai. Now, like you said, well, I would stay away from some, Sor Rungozai, Um, But if Estrada fights Franco, then I would look to fight the winner of that. If he doesn't fight Franco, I would just fight Estrada straight up. You know, again, if he moves up to Bantamweight, I don't like that for him because of his I'm not going to say because of his age because, like, he's showing that the age doesn't matter. And then look at what Donaire is doing at 39. Um, but strictly because of his size, I don't really like it for him, but it's an option. I would stay away from uh, Inoue at that weight class as well. Um, maybe Casemiro might be a good fight for him. Like, because, you know, you go to 118, like, you don't deserve to, like, fight no eliminator. You know what I mean? If you're Chocolatito. And so when I look at other champs out there, like, I don't see Inoue looking to fight Casimiro. I don't see, like, Donaire was supposed to have fought him, but that didn't work out. I don't see him necessarily looking to get that that shot back. Um, So if if those champions aren't going to unify, then one of those lesser champions are there for the picking. And so uh, I think he has a lot of options. I think both of them have a lot of options moving forward from this point. But um, it was a good showing for him. And, you know, again, for Martinez, I think that this whole thing would we'll be to look back at this and say this was a learning experience for the young fella. You guys got anything else?
2: Yeah, if I were Chocotito, I, I, I wouldn't even move to 118. I, I think he's he's small even at 115. I think 118, just a, that's a different size range. You even look at the physicality of those guys. So I would stay away from that.
1: Right. Even fighting Donair, older Donair, you know, that's a that's a big one eighteen too. So it's like for Chocolatito to be undersized at 115 and to be thinking about doing that, like I respect it. But as a fan of his, that would be tough to see against a lot of those guys.
0: Will, you got anything? Hats off to Chocolatito, man. I I really appreciate what he brings to the table. Like I said, back around 2000. 2014, 2015, he truly was number one pound for pound fighter in the world. And I think he still deserves to be in the top 10, even at this stage of his career. I
1: 100% agree. And I, I referenced before going to see uh, Triple G fight when he fought uh, David Lemieux at the Garden back in 2015. And that was back when they were calling him like big drama show and little drama show. You know, I saw Chocolatito fight live there. I forget who he fought, but you know he was still undefeated at the time and still doing Chocolatito things as he has been. But like he just seems like such a humble guy. You know what I mean? He's humble and and uh, he's he's world class, true professional. Always comes in in shape. Always gives us all um, and shows the fighters respect too. So hats off to to that brother. I wish him nothing but the best. Now this past Friday. On ESPN Plus, we had the Battle of the Jose's. Jose Ramirez uh, returned after his loss to Josh Taylor last year to fight Jose Pedraza. What did you guys think of that fight?
0: Actually, I'll be brief with what I have to say um, regarding this fight. It was it was a pretty good scrap. It was a pretty good stay-busy fight. I thought that it was an appropriate fight for Jose Ramirez to take after his loss to Josh Taylor uh, to get back in the win column. Um, as I saw the fight, it was... It just seemed to me um without going round by round that jose ramirez was the much bigger guy um and he landed to me the more effective punches throughout the fight and also he his, his volume of punches kind of superseded some of the slick, slippery, tricky things that the softball Jose Bedraza was doing. Actually, Jose Bedraza started the fight off in a right-hand stance, you know. And I gave the first... I I pretty much gave... I I had the fight 116 and 112. And again, that's being generous to Bedraza because a lot of those rounds... Like I said, he was doing some good quality things. He's a good quality boxer. I just didn't think that he did enough. And I think that the power shots of... Ramirez is what sealed the deal. He landed 91 to Pedraza's 89, but he was throwing heavier punches and he was doing a lot of good body work even when uh, Pedraza went to that left-hand stance. As a matter of fact, when he went to the left-hand stance, he kind of concentrated on the body a little bit more. Now, the rounds I thought that Pedraza was more successful that he actually did win some rounds was around like round six through eight. I thought that he was, that was his most effective time and the most effective in terms of output accuracy and ring generalship was through those rounds and then all the time and any that you see ramirez he typically kind of presses the gas towards the latter part of the fight and he did just that so like i said i had a 116 to 112 and this is just a fight where i thought the bigger more explosive guy um he sealed the deal against a three um, guy who who picks his shots you know Pedraza likes the temple kind of slower, you know, so he can kind of, you know, not, I don't know if it's it's, 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 his stamina, um, but that's just his rhythm. Like, he just likes a more slower pace where where he gets shots than Ramirez. He just, he wants to swarm his opponent and he lets his hands go a lot more than Pedraza. And I just think that when you have fighters who fight with those particular styles, then nine times out of ten, the guy who throws the more punches the heavier punches is gonna come out victorious and that was the case in this fight but good win for ramirez now moving forward as far as is concerned he's gonna be a good tough opponent um kind of a gatekeeper type guy for up and coming 140 pound fighter you know a good guy to stay busy against and to see what what you have you know maybe in a prospect you know so i just see see him and then you made a good point that he's gonna beat the guys he's supposed to beat and lose to the guys that he's supposed to lose to. So that's, that's just the type of fighter he is, but really, you know, good skills, you know, it's just something is missing. I think if he had a little bit more power, um, if he would put a little bit more output out, I think he'd be more successful, but a solid pro. Um, as far as Jose Ramirez is concerned, I know he wants another crack at the belts. He, he feels like something is missing if he doesn't have one of those straps, you know, around his waist. So it's going to be interesting to see. I know the Josh Taylor fight probably is going to be off limits, but when I think about the 140-pound fighters, he's going to have a, a pretty good pick of the litter. Now, a fight that I would like to see, I would like to see him and Regis progress because Regis is a power puncher, and he's a volume puncher who can crack a little bit too. So I think that that would be an all-out you know, warfare, I would lean towards reasons because I think that Ramirez, the one thing about him is glaring, is that he leaves himself open. He's not he's, hes not hard to hit. And sometimes the way he comes in, Josh Taylor dropped him a couple of times, or at least once when he was coming in, the other time he caught him in that break. I just think Ramirez, he, he gets hit too much for somebody like a regis progress who has all of that power it's, it's another situation where styles make fights right you know against somebody like a pedraza he can um easily get a victory over him no matter how good pedraza is just based on that style you know you got somebody who's less um, prone to throwing punches that against somebody who throws a lot of punches but when you throw a lot of punches and you leave yourself open against a I wouldn't necessarily say a sharpshooter, but somebody who hits his as heaviest, as reaches progress. I think that that would spell trouble for, oh, um, Jose Carlos. Now, he also is going to have some other options because at the elite level, you still got Jose Cepeda. I mean, I think that's a really good matchup. I think that's a 50 50 fight. And then you have some of those younger guys coming up, like a Devin Haney or Ryan Garcia, because those guys are so big for 135, TF Lopez. So he has some really good options, you know moving forward. It doesn't seem like he's really somebody who's interested in going to 147. I do not like his chances at 147 because, like I said, I just think he's somebody who overwhelms his opponent. He's pretty big for that weight and he just wins a, a fight due to attrition more so than like how skilled he is. He has some skill. I just don't think he has enough for the top guys at 147 and some guys who can really pack a wall up you know, with their punches. So You know, for him, it's just going to be based on um, style matches that they put him against um, in the future. But good win yesterday to get back in the win, column. That's all I got.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a good fight. Um, I had it 115-113 in favor of Ramirez. Um, I am, like, I'm not going to lie. I learned from this fight that me as a judge, like, I am am biased to the fighter, like, to the counterpuncher who kind of like catches people coming in and, you know, they're kind of throwing off the back foot and, and they're slick and they're using the footwork and their angles. Like, I love seeing that. Like, as somebody who has sparred, and that's kind of like my style too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like getting hit. I don't like infighting. And so, you know, when you make somebody miss, they let to discourage the throw. And then you, you're you the aggressor from dodging the punches and countering, but then you, become, you have the opportunity to become the aggressor you know, if, if they're not throwing and they're discouraged to throw. So I get what Pedraza was doing, but there's been three instances recently where slicker fighters at the championship level could have won fights, but they just didn't have the aggression or the power, or they just let the foot off the gas. This was one of them. I felt like, uh, cause I felt like Pedraza could have won that fight, but I, I also feel like at some point, and I believe the, eighth or the ninth round that left eye got like right into that left eye it got cut and uh it started to swell up even more and i think it was because that side of the face was more accessible when he switched to southpaw and so um he decided to kind of i don't know if he let his foot off the gas for that reason um or what but you know for me for after a good round six to eight i had ramirez winning the rest of the fight pretty much because Pedraza just wasn't throwing enough and that was a thing like even in the taylor and caterall fight like i didn't think it was a robbery and i don't think it i didn't think it was a robbery because at some point the bef- at or right before those championship rounds caterall kind of took his foot off the gas so that's the thing is, is like kind of that slick counter puncher if you don't have the knockout power, you can't afford to take your foot off the gas because a lot of judges are going to favor the aggressor. And um, I think that's what uh, – I think the third example, going back to that, where it was successful, was I think George Cambosos beat Teofimo Lopez because I felt like that was an instance where that was the case. But Cambosos had the power and he never took his foot off the gas. And so I understood what Pujols was doing coming in. He just wasn't busy enough to, like, see it through. Um, but I think that any slick fighter who can withstand Ramirez aggression and can come back with it is going to give him problems. Um, you know, just like we saw with Taylor and now with Pedraza. So, as far as where he goes, like I, I do think Pedraza is still a live dog. Again, if you're not supposed to beat him, you're not going to beat him. Like, I don't see like a lot of upset wins versus Pedraza. Um, but I think he's still going to get fights, I think he still has uh, a whole lot of fight left in him. And I think that Ramirez does have a lot of options. I also hate the idea of him moving up to 147. Um, but I think that he's going to give a lot of fighter, fighters problems at the 140-pound division. You've already said the names. I will also favor pro-Grey over him in that fight. Um, you know, Gary Antoine West, Russell is there. Uh, if Haney and Lopez move up for 140, uh, they're there. Um, But I think Ramirez is still going to be, I think he definitely can be a champion again. And I think he's still going to be fine in the division. It's just that outside of the aggression and the size, there aren't a whole lot of wrinkles. That's the only thing with him. And so if you have wrinkles and you have the power to withstand that and you're slick enough, you're probably going to beat him. But that's a tough ass for anybody at that division, which is why he
2: only has one loss. But a good fight. Good fight. Yeah, I thought it was a good good fight. It was closer than I thought it was going to be. You know, um, I thought Ramirez would win more uh, comfortably or even probably stop him late. Uh, but I'm, one thing I am surprised surprised by is how uh, better Petraza has gotten since each weight class he's moved up. Uh, and even how sturdier he got. Uh, I think that that win that Tank has over him uh, is looking better like every day you know and he's he's gotten even more sturdier at 140 even than he was at you know 130 versus 135 uh, but I was surprised how he was using his boxing ability and, and using the ring it just for the look Ramirez was, was coming forward uh too much and, and and cutting off the ring and following around a little too much uh and then the of course the you could tell that the power was was, you know, affecting Ramirez. I mean, affecting uh Pedraza. even though Pedraza is sturdier at that weight, you could still see how the strength was just moving him around a little bit, uh, and forcing uh Pedraza to, to to box more and move more. Um, but then then I think it, Pedraza did land some 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 interesting punches. He was he was landing a lot of uh straight lefts that I thought were really, really good. Uh especially I think it was in the in the uh fourth round when he when he landing one when ramirez is coming in but he just didn't have the power to really make ramirez respect him um i think that's going to probably be uh that's probably going to be the case moving forward for pedraza unless you know um he improves on some of that ability that he already has and he's able to to be more effective with his counters um but i did think pedraza moving in box well and i thought that ramirez you know he did what he does which is you know the the, the pressure and bring the pressure and the volume punching. And I thought this fight was, yeah, this fight was closer than it had to be. I didn't really score it, but just watching it, I thought that it was, it was many rounds where Ramirez is just probably just edging it by just act his activity. But, you know, it was a good win for Ramirez. Um, I think both of these guys are actually in a good position, you know, because they don't lose too much in this loss. Uh, I think for Draza even gains more, gains more uh, notoriety as a, as a uh, an opponent that, you know, other guys would want to fight because they, they may, they may you know, overlook him and look at him as low risk, lower risk than he actually is. And he can also still produce a, a decent scrap. And Ramirez is always going to be Ramirez. He's always going to be exciting. Uh, like y'all said, uh, there's a, you know, a fight with him and uh, Regis Progray will be, you know, exciting to watch. And I, and I do think it, it'll be interesting once you know, a, a, you know, Gary Russell, Gary Antoine Russell comes into play, and then you have the guys at 135 that may move up. I believe Lopez already uh, – I, I believe he, already he's going to campaign as 140 from here on out, and I think that would be an interesting fight uh, for him. And, and then you have uh, um, Caterall, who is who's also in the mix, even off his loss to Josh Taylor. I, I think he's still – you know, he's going to be a player, you know, Moving forward, and I think I think 140 is gonna be interesting. I almost, I ain't gonna say it's gonna be like the most exciting weight class or the best weight class, but I think it's gonna be interesting moving forward. You know, and I think in the next three to three years, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. But a good win by Ramirez. Uh, anything else you, uh, you want to share, guys?
0: Yeah, let me get a couple things. Let me cook on a few things. One, I think Pedraza just was a guy. He he looks like somebody who may have been draining himself at the lower weights kind of like when he was fighting at 140 he had some losses that he had that if he was fighting at a more natural like 147 then he wouldn't have had those losses you know he doesn't have to drain himself in order to make the weight he can make the weight more comfortably right so i just think that that's the case with pedraza the other thing is I was surprised yesterday about the announcers. Like, it was a lady on there. She was, I'm like, is, is she dating now? Uh, because she was giving him a lot of praise for some things that he just wasn't doing to me. You know, she was, he he, he, uh, he made a mess and look at the counter look at, and she was just totally ignoring what Ramirez was doing. So I was, that's, that's what was surprising to me. So I cut the volume down because I didn't want to hear all of that glaring stuff that she was saying. I mean, like, y'all room, you know what I'm saying? So that's what I was noticing with the announcing uh, or the announcers or the announcer yesterday was that he, subconsciously you're going to give Pedraza a little bit more than what he was actually doing. And again, I like the little slick work that he does. He just has to do a little bit more, not just make the guy miss and periodically, you know, throw a counter. You know, he just has to do it more often. That's how he could have gotten the victory yesterday, but I just didn't see him doing
2: enough in order to win a lot of those rounds. All right, cool. Now moving forward, um, one of the things I, I do appreciate about boxing is that it's an international sport where you get to, you know, um, learn about different cultures, different nationalities, and all that. Um, but one of the, the things that will affect it more so than I'll say the NFL or the M- is the presence of, you know, war and things that's going on internationally. So uh, if, if you just don't know, uh, the Russia has evaded Ukraine, and they're currently been at war for the last, I believe, the last week or so. Um, so we, we do have boxers that are, you know, from Ukraine that this will affect, uh, and fights that, is, that will be coming up. Um, so we do have the, the Anthony Joshua versus Usyk, uh, then also did the, the George Kambosos versus Vasily Lomachenko. Um, and, and now these fighters, they're, they're at risk of not having any opponents because the, the, their Ukrainian opponents are, are actually at war, literally fighting the war, the battle back home in Ukraine. Um, what do you guys think uh, Anthony Joshua and George Kambosos should, should do?
1: I'll do Kambosos first because his is the easiest. I think that he should do what he should have done this whole time and fight Devin Haney. It's been rumored that the zone has no desire to make this fight, but I don't know how true that is because logically it doesn't make sense. You know, for one, Haney has volunteered to meet all of Camboso's demands. You know, like when Camboso's was close to making the deal with Loma, Haney was like, whatever Loma agreed to, I'll do it too. You know what I mean? And so... He's met the demands. And if Haney wins that fight, which there is a good chance he would, in my opinion, then as the zone, as the network, you have an undisputed champion and one of the hottest divisions to defend his belts on your network. And then maybe you don't have to rely on pay-per-view revenue from Canelo fights, but that's doesn't either here nor there. We'll, we'll talk about that another day. Um, so I think Camboso and Haney is the obvious fight to make here. Um, the only way i don't see that happening i'm not gonna say the only way but you know i mean like if uh tank davis and mayweather if they come in with an offer then maybe Camboso would be swayed otherwise but other than that this only fight that makes sense to me for cambosos as for aj uh he's finally resolved his ongoing trainer search and he basically looked inward as in in his own camp and promoted his assistant coach, Angel Fernandez, to, to be this head trainer, uh, which was a good first step for this whole thing. So now that you have your trainer, you can start to move forward with becoming a fighter. You need to be in order to beat Usyk. Now, because of uh, the Ukraine situation is indefinite, I think that for now, it'd be best for him to take the Canelo approach and see who Eddie Hearn can find that's the closest fighter to Usyk that he can, you know, as a smaller boxer puncher who's going to push him to the limit but who he can beat convincingly because if you do that you build his confidence back up after that loss and you're getting a camp in under your new head trainer and in the event that the ukraine situation isn't resolved and then a few months down the road fury's beating white then maybe you get a shot at fury again and you're already in good shape for it and you already have a camp for it so I don't have a fighter in mind when I think of that, but I think that that would be the approach to go to. And I'm I'm not his promoter, so I don't really have to. It's not my job to come up with a fighter for that, but it just makes sense to me. The only thing I would do in terms of confidence is now that he found his new trainer, I just need him to find a new barber to keep that hairline right, man. How are you going to be a confident black fighter when you got a ball roll hairline? I don't understand it, man. His hairline ain't been right since I've been watching him fight. So somebody need to put a straight razor to it. That's, you know, like, they're just going to complete the puzzle. You feel me? Matter of fact, next time he's in the States,
2: I'll do it for free. <laughs> You're like, the ladies love it. The ladies love it. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to AJ, hey, take my man, you know, Daniel on his offer, man. I'm right ready give you that, that, that fade that you need. Bro, you can't be out here. Your
1: razor line look like the edge of a cracker. You just can't do it. <laughs> okay. Respectfully.
2: All right. So uh, George Cambosa. Uh, what's interesting is, is, you know, when when I go into what these fighters should do, I, I'm just going to give a disclaimer and remind uh, everyone, the listeners, that, you know, I'm not in the business of fighting. Fighters don't, they don't pay, you know, they, I'm not on their payroll, so it's not my job to look out for their best interests. Not saying I don't care about them, but it's not my job, you know. So if I pick somebody, it may not be what the fighter would Probably want, but you know what? As a fight fan, you know that's what I think they should do. So with George Cambosa, the obvious answer to that is the un hey Unify against Devin Haney. You know he's he's the other champ at one thirty five. I mean it's it's, it's a no brainer for me. You know Haney really wants to fight. That's what I've heard. Otherwise, he doesn't have a fight coming up. uh I, I think that'll be a you know good fight to make. Now. I, whether Cambosas can beat Haney, I don't think that, I don't favor Cambosas in that fight. But Cambosa has to make that decision for himself once he gets in the ring. Can I beat this guy or will I beat this guy? You know, that's why fighters fight the fights. We can predict fights all day and be wrong. So I think George Cambosa should take Devin Haney on that offer. Uh, as for, for Anthony Joshua, Mr. Ladies Love AJ, really his... his path forward is way more limited you know because you know looking at him he's a top fighter um the only fighter we want to see him against you know Tyson Fury you know has a fight coming up with Deleon White so with Joshua I think the, the logical step for, for him in my opinion I think he should go try to fight Wilder you know uh, now I would favor Wilder in that fight still because of the power and Wilder has that one hit a, hit a quitter but there was if there was ever a time where he has any type of chance against Wilder, I think this I think mean, this time would be it. You know, Wilder's coming off a loss. He's not sure if he wants to continue in the sport. He's always gonna be dangerous, especially for AJ, someone who, you know, sometimes can he can be straight up and down type of fighter and lack confidence once he's getting in the, in the trouble. But at the same time, I mean uh you have Wilder uh kind of. I'm not sure where it's headed as far as being in, in, in the game. So I think that, that that's a fight that should happen. We've been clamoring for this fight for about six, eight years now. Uh, why not now? You know, I, I understand it could put these paydays and risk and all that. But as I said earlier, I'm not in the business of boxing. Hey, unless I'm going to get 10% off these future fights they're making. I am not concerned about these future these other future fights that can be put at risk. They can have a, They can do like the, the heavyweights used to do in the 90s and the 70s. Even if that fighter lose, the fight is still sellable. That's how to fight anyway. So that's my picks.
0: All right. So I, I pretty much have you know similar fights for the guys as you. It's just for different reasons, right? So as far as Kambosis is concerned, I think, like you said, it's clear cut. The logical choice would be Devin Haney. That right there would put an end to who um, if he's the undisputed champ. You know, if you're the undisputed champ, it should be, like, not disputed. You know, some people still make the case that, you know, Devin Haney, you know, he has a WBC belt. The WBC is calling it the pride belt. You know, um, they're saying that he is undisputed, but it's still question marks there. If you Try to fight somebody like a Ryan Garcia, then people are gonna, they'll tune into it. But at the same time, it's not really going to do what a Devin Haney does. Devin Haney fight may not sell as much, but at the same time, it's going to eliminate a lot of question marks in terms of who's, you know, supreme at 135 pounds. Tank Davis, now that's the only other one because people, give Tank Davis a lot of um, credit and, 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 and um, it's, there's a lot of allure there for a Tank fight. You know, if you're able to defeat Tank, I think that that's, that's a pretty good matchup for Camboses with the exception of that power. You know what I mean? Like if Tank cracks him with something, then it's going to be all she wrote. But at the same time, that dude is such, has such heart and determination that he's able to overcome a lot of his um, deficiencies, you know, in terms of skill you know, he's able to overcome that with that heart, that passion. Gambosa is going to go from one to 12, you know, and he'll be just as fresh, you know, that 12th round as he is in the first. And so if Tank has some lulls, you know, in between rounds, he can really make things interesting um, or things could get really interesting in a fight like that. That's the only other fight um, outside of the Devin Haney fight that I think that fans will accept, you know, not Australians may not care, you know what I mean? Like, as far as what, what decision he made. But with that being said, though, as well, I just received an update a little bit earlier today that they're really close to um, getting the Devin Haney fight secure, where they're getting the signatures and stuff like that. So they're really close to that. So it looks like that's the direction that he's going to go. Now, AJ, I do, I care about these guys, man. I don't want to see anything bad happen to AJ, but you a fire. So with that being said, for me, You know, in terms of what he should do, I think that at this age, he's 32 years of age, that he's just going to have to make some decisions on what AJ really wants at this stage of his career. He's made a boatload of money. You know, what do I really want to get out of boxing, you know, moving forward? Because the Usyk situation is kind of tricky, because you don't even know Usyk is going to come back. Because if they're invading their country, that's going to take precedence over anything that he has going on in his career. And he really has, you know, passion about his country. Obviously, they got a lot of pride. You know, there's a, um, a lot of nationalism involved when it comes to um, the Ukrainians. You know, so it could be a while if 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 he ever comes back to the ring. So you don't know. In the fact that you don't know then what do I want to do, you know, now that that's not an option? I don't think that you're going to find anybody that's going to be any semblance of a clone of Usyk that you can learn things from. Now, you can take a fight against somebody just under your new trainer and try to make sure that we're working, you know, that we're in sync with one another and that what you're teaching me, I'm able to implement that, you know, with fluidity, you know, when it comes to by the time I'm able to face Usyk, but again, we don't know if Usyk or when Usyk will be available to fight. So you might be working on something that will never really pan out for you. So you you might want to not consider doing that. So with that being said, like you said, Tyson Fury, he has a fight coming up with Dillian White. Do you wait you know, you're, he's the type of fighter that needs to be in the ring. He needs to be active, you know, to be on his game. So with that being said, as you stated, that's what I jotted down. I jotted down the Wilder fight. But I think, and the reason why I think the Wilder fight is good, um, not only is it something that we've been wanting to see as boxing fans, but it's also something that will actually help him. Because let's say he he, he does beat Wilder right um and then actually it would do good for both um, winners so whoever wins this fight so for instance with um aj if he beats wilder and let's say for instance he does it in a more convincing fashion than tyson fury then that propels him into a fight with tyson fury he can say that he did something better than you know the number one heavyweight in the world you know he he, he uh did the same thing. Wilder's a a, a small heavyweight in terms of girth. You know what I mean? He can, you know, pretty much do the same thing. Tyson Fury, you didn't do anything that I didn't do. You know what I mean? And so he can go into that fight with his head up, confident, and that'll be a mega fight, not only in the UK, but worldwide. If Wilder is successful in defeating AJ, I don't see him going for another fight against Fury. I just think that's too much of a daunting task as it's a bad matchup. But if you Usyk does come back, then he has a partner that he can face in Wilder because Wilder can say the same thing. I did, you know, to AJ, what you didn't do, you know, by knocking this dude out, you know, so I should be next in line for an Usyk fight. And then that would bring the Bronx Bomber back into prom, prominence, you know. So I just think it's it's a, a good fight for both. I think it's a great fight for the sport of boxing. And I think that that's the move that AJ should, should, uh, that's the next step that he should take next. Anything, anything else you guys have when it comes to the topic of what should Cam Bolsas and AJ do in their next fights? Yes and no. Uh,
1: have you guys heard Wilder, I'm just curious because I have, but have you guys heard Wilder talk lately, like on s- some of the interviews and podcasts he's been doing? I have not. No, I haven't. So he, he did Cold as Balls with Kevin Hart, you know, where they sit in like the the cold tub. Um, and he was sounding iffy then. This was back in like December or November, December at the time. He still had the cast on his, you know, on his hand from his injury. Uh, recently, he was on Byron Scott's podcast, you know, the, ex, the ex-coach Byron Scott. And he was talking about doing ayahuasca. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's uh, it, it pretty much helps you discover what it is that you're supposed to do. And he was going to use that to decide whether or not he was going to continue to box. To me, that sounds like a guy who is not really worried about boxing at this point. And I wouldn't blame him because he got into boxing because he told his daughter, he would provide for her and he would become a champion. He did those things. And so, you know, when a fighter reaches their end game, you know, I don't know if he's still going to come back. And so I wouldn't, put any stock right now into what unless his can't reaches out you know what i mean um i didn't have him on the list because of how he's been talking lately um but that's
0: all i had to offer yeah you know uh, i would uh when you were saying how he sounded i thought you might have meant that his his eggs were scrambled you know what I mean? as far as because he did take a lot of punishment in those tyson fury matches and he's not the biggest guy in the world but he has the heart of a lion, you know. And sometimes, when you have that type of, of of heart, that it can do you in as far as like what the sport can do to you, you know, to your to your mental state. Um, but the reason why, and to me, I would, you know, let's say for instance that is the case. At least, I, if I was H, I I would put forth the effort trying to secure a Wilder fight. And if that's the case, Wilder decides that um, he's going to decline, you know, that he's not coming back to the sport. You know, he has no passion for it anymore. He he, he wants to ride off into the sunset. So be it. But, you know, from my end, at least I put forth the effort. And nobody could say that I was ducking this dude. You know what I'm saying? I did try to reach out. It just so happened that he didn't want to take the fight. And I think that that would help AJ even more. Because a lot of people were saying that he was avoiding Wilder, you know, um, in the past. And he can say, well, no, nah, I just, you know, it just wasn't the time at the time. I'm ready to fight. Usu's not available. You know, let's get it in. Let's get it popping like bacon in the pan.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Now, fellas, um, the Gennady Golovkin and Ryoto Murata unification uh, was supposed to happen back on December 22nd. Um, but... At the time, Triple G was unable to get into the country of Japan. And so it was recently rescheduled for April the 9th. Uh, So we're gonna spend a block on this one. Uh, How do you guys see it? You know, well, I I know you have a little bit of something on it, but you know, I guess we can all give our quick
0: picks if we so choose. Yes, sir. So we got Gennady Golovkin, 39 years of age. By the time they enter the ring, Gennady would be 40 years old. I think he turns uh, 40 in April. And he's 41-1 with 36 KOs, 5'10 half, 70 70-inch reach. And then uh, Ryota Murata, he's 36 years old, uh, 75-inch reach, 6 feet even. And he has a record of 16-2 with 13 KOs. The interesting thing is that Murata was a gold medalist in the 2012 games. And I think that was 2004, 2008. Gennady Golovkin was a silver medalist in Athens um, Olympics. Now, Murata, when it comes to his fighting style in the pros, he's he's a very aggressive, um, hard hitting um, champion. He's a WBA champ. This will be a unification bout. And Gennady Golovkin, he has the IBF strap. Um, that he got against Sergei Derevchenko um, in their fight a couple of years back. Now, like I said, Murata, he's an aggressive fighter. He fights differently than he did as an amateur. As an amateur, he was more of a boxer. And um, that's the way he ended up getting that gold medal. Um, He, Like I said, definitely changed his style. Gennady Golovkin, man, um, you know, I give him a little bit of flack. And I can even give him flack in this fight because he – often seems to be taking some mediocre opposition with the exception of fighting, you know, one in the fights against Canelo. But, you know, we, you can't deny the skill, you know, that's there. He has a very, very sharp, accurate jab. He brings the constant pressure. He has nice timing and then he's very heavy handed. Um, Very good, very solid, you know, boxer, you know what I mean? An elite boxer, you know, boxer, puncher. Uh, When it comes to Murata, again, aggressive, he uh, is tough and durable, and he's very relentless. And he really hasn't fought anybody, you know, at this level that not only skill wise, but he hasn't fought someone that hits as hard as Golovkin, but it's gonna be hard to face anybody, you know, with, that's not really saying anything, but I'm just saying like not even close to fighting someone with the power, accuracy and skills of a Gennady Golovkin he has two losses. He has one against Hasan and Dom, and then he also lost to Rob Brent. And he ended up um, beating those guys in rematches. So he avenged both losses. And like I said, he can box. He just hasn't it, shown it as a pro. He has a decent jab, um, decent movement. But the one thing about him is that he likes head movement and he's easy to hit. And so to me, that's going to be a recipe for disaster because He's so durable that it could lead to a long, lengthy beating in this fight. So I just, my prediction in this one is this either going to look like a Curtis Stevenson um, type of beatdown or a David Lemieux, because at this stage of his career, that Golovkin is a little bit more cautious than he was, you know, in his prime. And so he could just use that heavy jab because the, the times that Murata lost those guys just outboxed him. And for him having a lack of head movement, he's going to be eating a lot of those heavy jabs by Triple G. And Triple G's jab sometimes can be looked at very similar to a power punch. You know, he's knocked guys down with that jab before. And so I just think that there's going to be a, a nice, you know, brutal beat down by Triple G. So, and again, it could go two ways. It could go where... He's going to take the David Lemieux approach where he just, you know, boxes and, you know, those heavy jabs and keep him at a distance and and work him that way. Or it could be the fact that if he doesn't respect him, then he may up the ante and be typical Triple G and it'd be pretty routine, you know, or it could go where he is backing up Murata because I'm not sure if Murata can fight going backwards. You know what I'm saying? And so he's never been in a situation where he fought somebody who's going to push him back. So I can see Triple G beating him that way. But all in all, I think this is going to be a fight that stopped probably around the 10th round. I think Murata's corner is going to throw in a towel because he's just going to be taking too much punishment. So I like old Triple G, and this will set up the third installment of the Triple G versus Canelo um, Alvarez. So that's all I got on this one. You guys have anything on, on this matchup? I'll just give a quick pick. Yeah, I agree with most of the
1: same things that you said. I think that Murata, although he's avenged his losses, he just doesn't have the quality or pro proposition that Triple G has. And I'm not sure that he's going to be able to withstand Triple G's stalking. And so um, I think that, you know, Devery and fight is something that Murata could maybe use to build off of, but I don't think that it's going to be enough. And so... Um, I think it's gonna be a triple G stoppage.
2: I'm gonna go seventh round. Yeah, I'm going to whim and say that this fight goes to the distance, but I do think it's gonna be brutal because I want I want to believe that Mariah is gonna have a enough boxing ability to try to stay in the fight and survive and have some durability because at this point he has shown that he's durable, you know, this is against Gano, uh, Golovkin, and Golovkin isn't probably isn't the same as he was even you know six or seven years ago. Um By that. Uh, when I, even when I look at the Rob Brandt fight with uh, Murata, you know, Rob Brandt was beating him in that first fight with just jabs. And, and, and he, I mean, he was really using his jab. And Triple G, if anything, has an excellent jab. And I think that's going to be the difference where Triple G is going to jab a lot in this fight. And that's how the going to offense. And there will probably be a beatdown for, for about 12 rounds. Okay, moving right along. We got some super middleweight action that will be happening about two weeks from now on uh march 19th i'm talking about the up and coming edgar berlinga he'll be taking steve uh, rose uh, i believe will you have some comments you want to make about this fight how do you see it going
0: yeah i got a good old prediction uh, of this one. before i get started you fellas plan on going and check this one out out there in new york city you know they're gonna have it in the big apple you got any plans on going
2: out there I haven't heard about it. If I known about it earlier, I would probably would have planned to go out there and, and catch it. Hmm.
1: I I probably ain't gonna mess with it, not in person. I do want to catch one of because Keyshawn and Kelvin going be in the car. so I I do want to catch one of their uh, one of their fights. It just probably won't be this one.
0: Yeah, they're opening stuff. I mean, I mean stuff been open, but I, I'm more confident and comfortable going out and about. So I definitely i'm interested in that that spence fight so i'll probably be in the building for that you know i can make my triumph and t- return back to the detail and, and check out my boy errol spence um this one i'm not so sure i think about it this week i'm gonna look and see how much those tickets prices are but that's just a hop skip and a jump so i'm, I'm, I'm thinking about
2: it but anyway it hit, it hit will with that vax and he was like i'm unleashed now um, but 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 just to correct you man it, 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 there's another d town out there it's called the the, the motor city detroit man. just to let you know man
0: uh, we, don't, we don't recognize that one you know down here you know what i'm saying no i'm just messing with you i, I respect, I respect. <laughs> I yeah no nah, no nah, beautiful city man you know I, I can't really speak on i've been through detroit i i, I never really been there just like the hang out. You know, I hear some good things about it. You know, you hear not so flattering things, but all in all, you know, you got like really good people and all of these cities, man. Like I, I love them all. Philly, you know, Baltimore, you know, so we shall see any of those fights. I'm hoping that tank one of these days, he end up having a fair, you know, a hometown fight, but it looked like they're on to bigger and better things. But anyway, let's go ahead and get back into uh, this topic. You got, um, as far as what you referenced, as far as the fight, uh, you got Edgar Berlinga. He's going to be taking on Steve Rose. Edgar Berlinga is 24 years old, 73-inch reach. He's a Brooklyn native, also has Puerto Rican ties. Uh, he's 18-0, and 0, 16 KO's. This fight will take place on ESPN. Steve Rose is 21-1 with 12 KO's. He's 5'10", 72-inch reach. I think Steve Rose is like 36, 37 years old. I'm going to say 37 because he's like 35 when he fought Triple G a couple of years back. And he was doing good against triple G until he got caught uh, with that, that, that mean left that triple G hit him with, but it was a punch that most people can't throw and land with that power that triple G is, it's a weird left hand that he, he, clipped him with now. A lot of question marks with both of these guys now, before I even get to the question marks, Berlinga, um. He has 16 straight KOs, 16 straight. I want to say first round KOs, um, 15 or 16 in a row. And he, he can crack with both hands. Uh, very aggressive. I would consider him a boxer puncher, but he's a very aggressive boxer. He got knocked down in this last fight against uh, Marcellus Cossettus, but he got up, showed grit, fought to the end like a G. Uh, he's a tough kid. Likes to work off the jab. He can box a little bit. I mean, you wouldn't know it because of the fact that he has so many early KOs. And that's where the question mark comes in to me. Um is we didn't never really got a chance to see much of Berling's skill because, like I say, he was knocking people out so quickly. And then the other question mark is his chin. He got nailed last fight and he got pulled down. But he that in that fight, he was getting hit more than he ever had. Cassettes, I don't think, is the biggest puncher, but he clipped him really good on the kisser, and he dropped him. He was hurt. you know. So we just don't know. It's just a lot of question marks. And then with Steve Rose, the question marks is going to be that although he's like 37 years old, he really doesn't have that much mileage on him. You know, The fact that he only has 22 fights, and the only really tough fighter that he faced was Gennady Golovkin. He was doing well until he got clipped. He got clipped by a big puncher or a heavy-handed puncher in Gennady Golovkin. So we don't know about his chin. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So this fight right here, you know, is going to be an interesting one. Steve Rose is definitely not a bum. He does have skill. He throws nice straight punches. He has a good right-hand counter. Um, A a nice, solid boxer punch with hand speed, you know? Like I said, he is definitely not a bum. Um, But the question marks is going to be that chin, you know? And then how is his stamina gonna be if the fight goes later um, on? I know Berlinga can fight till the end. He didn't show really too much, too many signs of of slowing down when he fought against Gusevius and it went 10 rounds. He just was a little bit stunned in that ninth round, but he closed the show out pretty pretty nicely. So it's an interesting fight. I think that prediction-wise, right? So Edgar Berlinga, to me, I like how they matched him up against Steve Rose. Like, I think this is a litmus test type fight, right? And it's an appropriate step at this stage of Berlinger's career. You know, before I think they were just handpicking them Some bums, you know what I mean? I hate to call a professional fighter a bum, but some of those guys, once they got hit, they just went down and, you know, they was there to me for a payday or, you know, the guy does hit hard. But at the same time, it just wasn't showing any resistance. There was, he was fighting a lot of glass Joes. And it's definitely not a glass Joe. Um, this is, like I said, an appropriate um, step in, uh, of, at the career. And so, like I said, most both guys, we really don't have that much data on either one of these fellas. But as far as my prediction, I think that when I look at each guy, you know, look at the highlights, look at what they bring to the table, look at their age and all of these attributes, I think that Berlinga has all of the physical advantages. and. Rose, see, Berlinga has shown some grit in a fight where he was knocked down. He got back up, fought to the end. I've never seen that in Rose. So I have to give him the advantage in that area if things get kind of murky. Um, He's also the A-side, and he's the bigger puncher, you know. And then, like I said, Rose, we don't know about his chin. He's fighting a heck of a a powerful guy, young, you know, hungry lion. So I, I have to go with Berlinga. And I will say by stoppage, I think I like Berlinga probably within six rounds, I think that he'll close the deal. So I got Edgar Berlinga by KO. Um,
1: I'll just give a quick one here. Um, it is worth mentioning that Berlinga had to have surgery to repair a torn bicep after that cosettes fight. Um, as you stated, Steve Rose only lost to the Triple G by a fourth round KO. Uh, Rose also has a common opposition with Berlinga, Demond Nicholson who Rose beat by split decision in the eighth rounder in 2017. Berlanga beat him by unanimous last year. Um, I think this is another relative step up in competition. I like the matchmaking here. I think the power is there. I'm just not sold on it as he continues to step up. So I'm going to say like a 117,
2: 111 on the cards, unanimous. Uh, it's bold, Danny. So I'm just gonna make my prediction short. Uh, I think it'll be Edgar Berlinga by uh, knockout.
0: Can I ask your f- fellows a question? When it comes to Berlinga, what do you see his trajectory being? What 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 what's his
2: ceiling? I think it's kind of hard to see, you know, because he's still kind of in the in the build up phase, and we, and of course, we've seen some a little bit of trouble in his last fight. So. Um, We'll see. I mean, he's in a he's he's in a uh, very uh, dense weight class, and even if he decides to move up, then he'll still be in a, in, a, in a pretty class where it's t- it's, it's kind of top heavy. So uh, we'll have to see, like, as he takes these fights, and and as he go move up level to level, because uh, anybody can look like a world beater on certain levels, and then and, and even then, some people may ha- even those who aren't world beaters may have trouble early in their career. Like, I remember Angie Ward getting a lot of flack when, uh I think it was Darnell Boone, you know, uh, knocked him to the canvas. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I need
1: more data. But I think that my hope is that his handlers continue to, like, they don't fast track him like it seemed like they were going to try to do after that that first round knockout streak. And so I think that – I'm hoping that we learn more about him this fight and, you know, we can, you know, two weeks from now, have this – revisit this discussion. Um, But if he continues to stay injury-free and if he boxes well and if he uh, continues to do that while he steps up and stays active, then, you know, like three, four fights a year, I think would be good for him right now, maybe even more, depending on how quickly they end. I think that he can have a high ceiling. I'm just not sold on like the the knockout artist version of him, but I think that as a boxer puncher that, you know, he's shown grit and I think the potential can be high. That's all I can give you right now.
0: Thanks for answering the question, sir. Um, For me, based on what I see, I don't see like a top pound for pound caliber guy. But what I do see is a guy who can be in some really exciting fights that will be fan friendly. And he has a huge fan base behind him, you know, with that Puerto Rican uh, fan base that he has out there in the New York area. And then also just Puerto Rico in general. So he has uh, a lot of promise when it comes to that. I just don't see he got, he has a lot of holes in his game. Um, He relies on that power so much. I just don't see the little um, subtleties there. You know what I mean? Because when I look at 168 pounds, I don't see him. I think Benavidez would eat him up. Um, I think Caleb Plant would eat him up. Um, and just some of those other guys, I, you know, it, it's I, – I, I'm not trying to say this in a negative way because, you know, you have some guys who just – that's not their thing as far as like being powerful. They still really are fun to watch, you know, and you look to see them um, and you don't mind even going to see them fight because of the fact that they're so exciting. And he has that one dynamic that a lot of people like, you know what I mean? Sometimes you might have a baseball team. They might not be the best team, but you go see them. They're going to crack some home runs. And so you're like, man, I can't, you know, I want to go out there and see, you know, so-and-so play, you know, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire you know, not necessarily they had the best teams, but they were um, people who, you know, jumped off the uh, the screen at you. So that's what I see for him more so, not just somebody who has all of the skills, you know, he has a lot of holes in this game, but he does have that one thing that that people dig and that's that power. So now got a couple more uh, predictions that we have. So we're going to go with a fight. I believe it's going to take place in April as well. It's you know, 2022 is shaping up to be a really good year for boxing. We got the number one ranked fighter in the WBC. You got Erickson, the Hammer, Lubin. He's going to be fighting the Towering Inferno Sebastian Fendour, who's number four in the WBC. And this clash right here is a title eliminator. So the guy who wins will have the number one spot and they'll be in contention for Jermail Charlo's belt. Who do you guys like in this one?
2: Yeah, this is gonna be a very entertaining fight. Uh, actually, I'm gonna be kicking myself in it if it's isn't entertaining by any Chance, it just I can't I can't see this fight not being entertaining. Not saying we fight a year or anything like that, but it's gonna be a, a pretty good scrap based off of how these guys match up. You know, Lubin, he's the, a boxer puncher. Um, he definitely shows a lot of a promise. He was a, a big time prospect before he ran to uh, Jamel Charlo, and of course, Charlo you know, clicked him in the, in the first round. And ever since then, he's been trying to build himself back up. Uh, so even in those fights that he's had since the Charlo loss, uh, like Jason Rosario and, and Gallimore, sometimes he, he tend to look a little bit of shaky, which even when he's winning fights, he, he tends to look shaky. And I don't know if it's just a mental thing or maybe I'm, when I'm watching a fight, I'm like, because normally when guys get stopped like that, and, and let's say I'm watching his their next fight. They cannot be hurt, but they can look hurt just based off of like the fear of them getting clipped again. So he always shows that vulnerability. And Sebastian Fedura, he's like six foot five. I mean, compared to Erickson Lubin's five foot nine, five foot ten, and I don't, I'm not sure if... Lubin can sometimes be listed as five ten, but I think he's even shorter than that. He looks to me sometimes Lubin looks like he could probably make welterweight, and if not, he's probably it's probably welterweights that's probably the same size as him. So he's going against, Sebastian Fedora is like six foot five. you know, could be taller, 80-inch wingspan. But the, the thing that, that I think will put Lubin in this fight is that Fedora doesn't really fight tall. You know, even though he can throw a jab, normally he throws that jab when he's squared up, and, and that full extension of that reach is not there. And he likes to, you know, bang up close and, and, and bang mid-range. With hooks and uppercuts and things of that nature. So, if Lubin is going to get caught with a punch, I think it's going to be one of those uppercuts. Um, but I do think Fedura, you know, he at times he can be outboxed. I mean, I've seen a few fights of his where I wasn't sure that he even won those fights. Um, so I think Lubin is in this fight. I think Lubin is good enough to 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 win this fight. I think he, he's going to have some moments in this fight where he's going to, he's going to look uh, very vulnerable. But I don't think that Fedora has that uh, one shot, you know, hitter like, uh, uh, let's say, a Jamel Charlo, or even Jason Rosario has. Fedora is more like a volume puncher, and he's very, very heavy-handed, and too much of those shots could take Lubin out. But I think Lubin will be smart enough. I think his his uh, trainer and team will be smart enough to avoid getting hit with consecutive shots unless he just happened to get hurt. So I I, I think that Lubin will win this fight by. Uh, United, unanimous decision M- might be, a, you know what? I, I'll change it. It'll probably be a, sli- a split decision. I think this fight is going to be close, and if this fight is close, I won't be surprised if they hand this fight to Fedura in a fight that Erickson Lubin. We've all think that Erickson Lubin won because uh, Fedura is the guy that I think the momentum is with as far as promotion and business wise. uh I think they're trying to see his ceiling a little bit more, and they, they feel like they've already seen ceiling. So. Uh, now, I think Lubin knows that, so look for Lubin to, to really try to win his fight, but can, I can see the, him winning this fight, but it, it being taken away from him.
0: Danny, before you go, you see how this man heads this bet. You know, he covers all bases, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> just in case. So, he's picking Lubin, but he's... Hey, man. <laughs> you do that
2: too, Will. I don't <laughs> I, you do that. I <laughs> want to be the one to say it, but... We both do that. We both do that. Uh, we both do that. Uh, uh, but we know it's, nobody wins by KO.
1: Yeah, um, I ain't gonna lie. I need more info on this one, so I'm gonna do my. I haven't properly done my research on both fighters. I've seen them fight, but I haven't come to a conclusion on this one yet. So I'll, I'll text y'all for mine.
0: Yes, sir. So as I, you know, I am make a couple of points before I get to my overall prediction. You know, um, one thing that that you, you did a good job of breaking it down again, Phil. Only thing that I'll add in there is that both of these guys. Our Southpaw. So that's going to be um, something to look out for. And as you stated, Lubin, he's coming um, off of a six-fight win streak since his Cahoe loss to Jamil Charlo. In some of those fights, he has, you know, looking a little shaky. You know, he got hurt in the fourth against Rosario, although he took him out in the sixth. And you know, that's the question mark with him. He, he's been looking as if he still may have some lingering effects from the Charlo fight because when he does get touched, his legs look a little shaky. And sometimes he looks like he's on the verge of being stopped. Um, and But he, he his recuperative powers are pretty good. You know, so if you don't catch him within that five, ten seconds when he's, he's like visibly shaken, then he's going to be right back to where he was before he got tagged. Um, he looked days a few times against Gouche. And Gouche is not a puncher, you know. I, I think the more time goes by, I think the better his chin is going to get, you know, back to the way it was before he was he was KO'd, but he is showing some signs of of um, vulnerability, you know, when he gets t- touched on his chin. Now, as far as Fendora is concerned, but Lubin is a, is a good boxer, you know what I mean? He's not um, he has 17 KOs. You know, he, he can hammer. You know, he can crack. You know, that's why they call him the hammer. And so he, although he stopped Rosario guy, who he can't take it to the body and stuff like that. Um, and it seems like he needs to move up. But he hasn't shown that one punch, one hitter quitter power since the Charlo fight. But I, I think that's because he's not willing to commit as much on his shots because then that'll make him vulnerable for a counter. So I think that's probably the reason why he's not as, he doesn't look as powerful as he did previously, you know, not a towering Inferno. He uh, just, come, he's coming off the Sergio Garcia fight. Um, they also have a common opponent in Jorge Coto, Cota. Um, they both stopped Cota. And I mentioned him, I mentioned it again, Danny, that was, I think we were in the house, you know, for that, that fight, not necessarily a great performance by, Lubin in that one is just once the fourth round came, he he knocked Coda, uh, you know, he he cleaned his clock, and that was all she wrote. But um, like I say, the Tar Inferno has a as a, a stop his victory over Coda as well. I think that Lubin, I don't know if they both was equally impressive, you know, against. You can't really gauge that fight um, because both of these guys is going to be unique, you know, a, a unique matchup. A guy six five and a half against a guy like. Not even five nine, um, so you know it's gonna be interesting. You know what I mean um, to see what it looks like. Just you know, both guys' presence inside the ring. Um, as far as Fedora is concerned, he gets a lot of leverage on his punches. You know, he he looks like a praying mantis. You know, those long arms. He's kind of like an octopus in the ring, where he's just throwing these shots. A lot of times, well, I should say this he appears to always be in range because of those long arms. And he's kind of like a Paul Williams-ish type fighter in the fact that he's so tall, but he likes it on the inside. And his offense is his defense. Luckily, his offense, offense is a nonsense because, you know, the boy can go, you know what I mean, when he gets to throw those shots. Um, but he does get clipped a lot too, but he just hasn't shown any um, the ability – shown the ability to take a good shot you know but how many shots can you take from lubin so this fight right here to me is is kind of a 55 45 type fight i can see lubin winning but at the same time i'm not predicting a lubin victory though you know who's going to be able to hold up you know when it's all said and done because both guys aren't really defensive geniuses you know and both are lefties and um so the fact, you know, you got two lefties in it. Don't be expecting like a Purnell Whitaker type, you know, defensive matchup going on here. It's going to be a lot of punches being landed. And I just don't think that Lubin's chin is going to be able to hold up. I just think Vendura's chin will be able to hold up better against Lubin than Lubin's chin will be able to hold up once he's getting tagged against Vendura. And if Lubin just had was better defensively, I think that he would be okay. But coupled with the fact that he's not the greatest defensively, and then also the issues that he's been showing with his chin, I just think that's going to catch up to him. So I got Fondura F- uh, probably about eight between 8 and 10. I think he'll get a stoppage in this one. So we're going to wrap things up with this last topic next week. We got a, a bout between Grand Prairie native Virgil Ortiz. He's going to be taking on a guy out of the U.K. and Michael McKinson. What do you, what do you guys have for this one, folks? What do you think uh, is going to happen in this matchup?
1: I don't know much about McKinson. I've seen some stuff here and there. I do know a good amount about Virgil. I don't have a science, I don't have a breakdown behind this, but Virgil will win by stoppage.
0: So for me, when I look at this fight, uh, you got Virgil Ortiz. He's 18 and no, 18 KOs. He's 5'10, 70 inch reach, 23 years of age. So he has that, you know that youthfulness you know to him and then you got mckinson who's 21 oh and the glaring thing about him is he, he's only has two ko's he's five nine and he's he's a softball right now with ortiz as far as the skills that he brings to the table was a efficient puncher with tremendous blunt force he has wins over um idris kavalaskis and maurice hooker you know within the last year and he's been showing flashes of eric morales el terrible was mixed in with a little bit of ferocious Fernando Vargas. You know, he shows a lot of grit as well. He's persistent, got a lot of courage. He has power in both hands, nice combos, excellent footwork. You know, McKinson, on the other hand, he's an awkward softball. He's going to be similar to the guy that Josh Taylor um, just faced last week. And I stated this before, you know, with only two punches, you know, he makes Paulie Malinazzi look like Ernie Shavers. You know, I just the thing about him, not only does he like power, but he gets tagged a lot against the limits of opposition that he's faced. So I think this is going to be a recipe for disaster against somebody who hits his hardest, Virgil Ortiz, after facing somebody like Kavalaskis and Hooker. You know, in that DFW grudge match, I think Ortiz does deserve a softer touch and a stay busy type of fight so he can learn a few things, especially facing the tricky southpaw. you know, and work on how to be effective against a fighter from that stance. Because if moving forward, he probably will end up facing uh, Errol Spence if he's going to go after one of those belts, if Errol Spence is still at 147, or he may face somebody like Terrence Crawford who fights in the Southpaw stance a lot, you know. So I think that this is a good fight from that standpoint where you can get some work in, um, be able to figure things out against the Southpaw because you don't want to just jump right into facing one of the top guys pound for pound in the world who happens to be a Southpaw and you never had faced one or you hadn't faced one in a long time. So I think that that's a, a, a good looking at it you know, from that standpoint, but Ortiz, like I said, he's currently top three in all governing bodies. So this should be a fight that's going to even um, keep him where he is, or even move higher in the rankings to secure about with one of those elite well-to-weights my prediction. I think the fight will end in about five rounds. I think McKinson won't be able to get Virgil's respect because he just doesn't have the power and he's not a defensive wizard. So my prediction Ortiz within five rounds.
2: Yeah, I predict that Ortiz will win his fight by knockout. He has nothing to worry about from a guy with two knockouts on his record, simply. Gotcha. Any guys, you guys have before uh, we wrap things
0: up in this episode?
1: Just to update you guys on the he be knowing uh, point totals, right now you guys are actually tied with 11. I'm at 8,
0: so I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just – I haven't even really gotten my bag when it comes to making these picks. Like, I just threw some of them out there, like yesterday. And and really, I should have got two points for that Chocolatito fight because they should have stopped that fight around the 10th round. I don't know why they did that to that young fella. So, you know, my prediction was it, it it was sound. You know what I'm saying? It's just they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I should be up 12 to 11. Um, but you'll see me, my separation, uh, moving forward. <laughs> Probably how many bite we got. Well, by the end of the month, I think I should have a substantial lead and I just coast the victory uh, to round out the year. That easy, huh? Yeah. All in right. the first quarter. Okay. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm trying to figure out what y'all want to do. Like, y'all want to get the belt for me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or like, well, we all want to put in to get a, a championship belt that I can carry around, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we can talk about that later.
1: <laughs> Let's let the fights play out and then we'll decide from there.
0: Getting a little too cocky, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, folks, we, uh, you know, another good episode, fellas. We're going to wrap things up. Hopefully, you all have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. 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 Peace.